podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries, on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two for the podcast. Today is Thursday. It is the 11th of January. Hope you're all well and having a pleasant day. Right, folks, it is Thursday, so it's questions day. We'll get to them, but we have sad news today. Sven Joran Eriksson has announced that he has terminal cancer and at best has one year to live. And as many people who've listened to this podcast for a long t- time will know, I'm a big fan of Sven. Huge fan of his Lazio team. And it's sad to hear that news. I think Sven is one of the most underrated managers of all time. And there's no recovery to be had here. Um, He's told the story of how his diagnosis came about. And uh, all we can do is wish him well and, and wish him peace. 
it will be a sad day when he passes because he brought an awful lot of joy and an awful lot of good to football. Um, let's go for questions. Rick M, how did you rate Dunga as a DM if he was in his prime? Which clubs could he play for now? Well, he could play for Liverpool. He could definitely play for Liverpool. Um, he would be a very good addition. He had a strange club career. Never quite, never quite reached the levels he should have done at the club side. He was just sort of an unfashionable player in a lot of ways. But he was brilliant for Brazil. He was comfortable on the ball. Not a an, an adventurous passer, but a clever passer of the ball. Brilliant positionally. Read the game at an exceptional level. Great leader, great organiser. I think, I think Dunga could play for most clubs now and be very, very good. Uh, Adam GBN, just thinking after the win tonight... Maybe worth a discussion. Would Liverpool winning a treble of the Premier League, Europa League, and either League Cup or FA Cup be a bigger achievement than Pep's treble last season, taking into consideration budgets, previous season recruitment, etc.? The honest answer is no. The honest answer is no. Because the Champions League is still the Champions League. Now, what I will say is that the Champions League is very, very weak the last couple of seasons. And like this season, it's very hard to see anybody touching City. Bayern are a couple of players short, Real are a couple of players short, and have injuries to three vital players, Alaba, Militao, and Thibaut Courtois. Um, PSG are badly managed. There's nobody really that looks like a real threat to City. If City don't win it this year, it will be because they have messed up somewhere. It's not because there's a better team out there capable of beating them. Last season was the same. Like City were just head and shoulders above the rest. And it's not... I don't think last season's City team is a patch on the team they had from 2017 to 2019. I think that City team with the De Bruyne, Fernandinho, Silva midfield, the Sterling, Aguero, Sané front three, I think that team was considerably better than the current team. Now, you could make an argument maybe that the current team has a better back four. Walker was certainly better 17 to 19 than he is now. If you're taking centre-backs... Despite the fact he was past his best, you're still taking company with Diaz. But you're definitely taking Aki as the left back. Rodri or Fernandinho? Very, very different. Rodri's the better player. But Fernandinho was incredibly effective for them. But I'm taking that version of KDB versus last season's version. I'm taking David Silva... 17 to 19 over Bernardo, and I love Bernardo. I'm taking that version of Silva over Gundo, and I love Gundo. Sterling over any of the wide players that were at City last year. Sane over any of the wide players that were there last year. Aguero, I mean, Aguero or Haaland. Haaland scores more goals, 
I still think I'd rather have Aguero, but Haaland with with Sane playing that way and that version of De Bruyne, Haaland would have scored. He would have scored even more. I think that team was scarier, though. Like, I think you went into games against that team hoping not to get hammered, regardless of who you were. The only team that came anywhere close to them in those two years was Liverpool. And Liverpool obviously won a European Cup in that that span. But I think winning the treble with the Champions League is still, it's like we've only seen it done twice by an English team. Bayern have obviously done it. It's just such a rarity. Now, winning the Premier League and Europa League in the same season is very, very difficult because of the Thursday-Sunday thing. I think if Liverpool won the quadruple with the Europa League, both domestic cups and the Premier League, then I think that is... That's certainly a discussion to have. Because no one's done that. And yes, it would be more impressive with a Champions League rather than the Europa League. But I still feel like the Champions League plus the EFL, or the Europa League plus the EFL Cup on top of the Premier League and FA Cup, that's, that's a discussion. If Liverpool won the quadruple this year, I think that's a, a discussion. And when we look at you said bigger achievement, considering budgets, previous seasons, recruitment, etc. Then I would say yes. I would say for Jurgen Klopp to win a quadruple of Premier League, Europa League, EFL Cup and FA Cup with Liverpool is a bigger achievement than winning the treble with Manchester City, given the finances, given, well, the industrial level cheating that we know has taken place at City. That would be a bigger achievement. I, I just can't get there on a treble without the Champions League. I, I get what you're saying, and, and I, I I think it's a lot closer than people would make it out to be, especially given I do think the Europa League is, is a tough competition and the Champions League is quite weak at the moment. Um, but I'd still, I'd still lean towards winning that Champions League. But the quadruple, then it's a bigger achievement especially when you factor in the budgets. Like, it's it's obscene. We know what Liverpool's wage bill is. We know how much Liverpool are playing, are paying their staff. We have no idea how much City are paying theirs. Because people like Guardiola, the coaching staff, the academy staff, they're not contracted to Manchester City. They're contracted to City Football Group. And we know that City pay extra under the table. So they their wage bill could be six, seven hundred million. I mean, it came out that Haaland is on basically eight hundred and fifty grand a week. That's forty two point five million a year. And I bet if he's on that inclusive of bonuses, I'd bet KDB is on 600, 650. And there'll be others on immense amounts like that as well, getting paid a wage by City, which they declare, 
and then getting paid bonuses in other ways, either through City Football Group or through some Abu Dhabi snowmobile rental company for which they act as the CEO. Um, Zicchino, could you make a possible 11 of notable players who wore the wrong squad number for their position? Ideally, it would be egregiously suited, e.g. Kante in the number seven, but will accept irritating discrepancies. Fabinho in a three. We'll also accept goalkeepers not wearing number one. Academy numbers don't count. Um, well, Jorge Campos, the Mexican, Mexican goalkeeper, used to wear number nine. So he's in. Um, William Gallas wore number 10. There's going to be a lot of attacking players, I feel like, here. Um, Ozzy Ardiles wearing number one for Argentina in the 1982 World Cup because some genius decided to give the numbers out uh, alphabetically. So we'll definitely have Ozzy in midfield. Um, Wilfred Boney wore number two, he's a striker. Clint Dempsey wore number two, he's an attacking midfielder. So let's get them in. Asamoah Gayan, he wore number three, he's a striker. Nicholas Bentner wore number three when he was at Wolfsburg. Noanku Kanu and Emmanuel Adebayor both wore number four at different points. Milan Barros wearing number five always annoyed me. Always, always, always annoyed me. Samuel Eto'o wore number five for Everton then. Um, let's see. Ivan Zamorano, one plus eight. Can we have that? It always annoyed me when Anelka wore 39 because th- that was before players did silly things. Shevchenko wore 76 in his second spell at AC Milan because it was the year he was born. That's ridiculous. Um, It's it's largely striker-dominated, this, isn't it? Zidane wearing five always annoyed me. Bellingham wearing five annoys me. So we'll go, we'll, we'll stick Bellingham at right back just to fit him in. We'll stick Gallas as centre-back. We're going to put Nicholas Bentner next to him, uh, where three is less ridiculous, but still ridiculous. Actually, we'll put Fabinho next to him. I didn't like Fab wearing three either. Um, so we'll put him next to Gallas. So at least we'll be solid there. Jude is an attacking right-back. That works. 
We'll go Ozzy Ardila's wearing number one at left back. Obviously, we mentioned Campos and goal at nine. Zidane in midfield wearing five. Um, Ivan Zamorano's getting in for one plus eight because that is just stupidity. Uh, Milan Barros is up, is only going to be on the wing wearing number five. Um, Asamoa Gyan up front wearing number three. So what do we need? We need one more in midfield and we need one more on the left wing. We'll put Gyan on the left wing. We'll put Shevchenko up front wearing 78. And for one more in midfield, um, Clint Dempsey, Clint Dempsey, that'll do, number two. So there we go. Um, One bloke went to Mo. Uh, Hi, Dave. The other day I was listening to John Aldridge commentating on a match. His co-commentator kept calling him Aldo. Can you name, can you therefore make a Liverpool 11 whose nicknames end with an O? Oh, that's tough. Um... Okay. Well, Hendo would have to be in there. Dross, obviously, but he's got to be in there. Um. Oh, God. This is going to be tough. Jamo, David James would be in goal. He was Jamo. Defensively? Lauro? I'm I'm trying to rattle through right-backs here. And I just... Unless Steve Finham was Finno, which is possible, we'll stick him in anyway, because he'd be Finno if he was from where I'm from. Um, Finno, Lauro, left backs. I don't think Stigo or, or Bjorno would work. Uh, let's see. Nickel, no. Would, would, uh, would Kennedy have been Kenno? No, he wasn't. He was Barney Rubble. So not him. Um, really struggling for a left back here and a second centre back I don't imagine Martin Skirtle was Skirto don't imagine Daniel Agar was Ago Sammy Hippie certainly wasn't Hippo Uh, Carragher was Cara Obviously not Verge, not Matip. Uh, I mean, could I just go with Joe <laughs> and not the EO? Um, I might need him at left back as well. Um, I- I'm struggling with left back. And I'm, oh, Robbo. Robbo at left back. What am I thinking? Robbo at left back, obviously. 
the obvious, most obvious one of all. Okay, Robbo at left back, centre back. Um, can I have Fabinho in defensive midfield as Flacco? Does that work? I'm I'm taking it anyway, because you're not here to disagree with me. Would Ian Callaghan have been callow? I think I'm just going to go with it anyway, because there's no one here to disagree with me. Um, I'm I'm going with Mo, by the way, on the right wing. Um, Huh. Aldo's the nine. Mo Sadio. I, I I I'm I'm struggling here, so I'm just gonna go with them as the front three. Um I need I'm gonna just imagine in my head that Ian Callahan was callow. I need one more in midfield and I need a centre back. Um Let's see. Who else can we come up with? Steve Nick had a couple of nicknames. He was Choco, but he was also choppy because he said chops instead of chips. But I don't think he counts. Michael Owen was Mo as well. Nando. So can I stick Torres in as well? Yeah, I'm going to stick Torres in. So I'm going to have Aldo and Nando up front. Mo and Sadio on the wings. Calo and Flacco in midfield. Finno, Loro, someone, and Robbo. And then JMO and Goal. Mm. 
According to multiple websites, Steve Nickel also went by Chico. Chico. So I'm just going to stick him in at centre-back because I'm genuinely out of out of names. So I'm going to go with him. Uh, an idea for scouted. What's your... Oh, an idea for scouted. We'll keep that one for a scouted then, Ro. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, AMK2889. Wondering if you can do a deep dive on Emil Heskey. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really think we need to go all that deep on Emil. Emil was really, really good for a short period of time. And then for, I don't know, maybe football moved past Emil Heskey being the type of player you could you could build around. But if you look at his career, like he was really, really promising at Leicester um, in his five years there. Joined Liverpool, struggled at first, then was outstanding in the treble season, was really good the year after, hit and missed the next year, good in his last year, and then got shunted out the door, had a good first season with Birmingham. By the end of that season, he was 27, and his career just went off a cliff. Now, he continued to play all the way up until... 2015-16, at which point he was 38. But he wasn't an effective player anymore. He really stopped being an effective player after that first season with Birmingham. But he was a really good foil for, for Michael Owen. The Owen Fowler pairing didn't really work for one reason or another. And Julier wanted someone bigger and stronger and someone that would do more of the donkey work. And Emil Heskey was more than happy to do it. Emil Heskey was similar in a lot of ways to Darwin. Not as talented as Darwin, not as good as Darwin, but would work really hard, was quick, was massive, like absolutely massive. 6'2", about the same in width. I remember... When Yapstam was at his peak, he used to just bully sent a bully centre forwards all over England. And Emil Heskey left him on his arse multiple times. Marcel Desailly used to bully centre back or centre forwards as well. And I remember being at Anfield watching a ball get played down the channel, and Desailly came out to deal with it and came out quite confidently to deal with it. And Heskey barreled over and nailed him with a shoulder and practically put him in the stand. He was incredibly strong, like a proper massive bloke. Limited technically, but could do enough bits. He was probably a bit more like Divock in many ways, where he never fully realized how effective he could be. And it seemed like it was always a bit of a battle to keep Emil focused. And maybe that's what happened. I would say lads that are as heavily, no, not heavy, like he, when he was heavy, he would have weighed a fair bit because he was such a big fella. But it's not like he was overweight or anything, but he was heavy set. He was very muscular. And players like that do tend to break down 
in their late 20s. We saw with Rooney. Rooney started to break down quite badly in his late 20s. And maybe that's part of what happened with Heskey. But I do think Julia going was the, the biggest factor because Julia just seemed to be able to tap into Emil's head and get him focused. And he clearly loved playing with Michael Owen for club and country. He was capable of being a, a 15 to 20 goal a season across all competition striker. But he did sacrifice a lot for Liverpool. He sacrificed for the good of the team. He chased the lost causes. He worked the channels. And he didn't ever develop as that kind of penalty box number nine. He didn't really develop as that back-to-goal player, which he had the ability to do. And he'd done a bit of at Leicester. But when we got him, we used him in a different way. And he almost, it was almost like he played off Owen as opposed to the way around. He would do all the fetching and carrying. He's like a nicer version of Diego Costa in some ways. But he played a long time and he played a lot of games. 786 games in his career. And he was fairly robust. Like you look at from 95. 96 when he breaks into the Leicester team plays 35 games and then he goes 47 39 40 35 I'm uh, sorry 35 at Leicester 12 at Liverpool in the same season so 47 games that year then 56 56 52 47 38 40 for Birmingham 36 30 and 22 for Wigan, but he left Wigan mid-season and went to Villa. He played 14 games. He played 36 games that year. Then 42, 25, 29. And then he went to the Newcastle Jets. He played 23 and then 19. And then he went back to Bolton and he played 18 and then 30. So even at 38, he was putting up 30 appearances a season. You're only really looking at those last two years at Villa. And then obviously the two seasons with Newcastle Jets. I don't know how many games those teams would have played, but imagine for someone like Emil, who would have been high enough profile going over there, he probably was contracted not to play every game. Probably had it in his deal. He didn't have to play every game. I'd imagine he was meant to play more than 19 but maybe it was to be 25, 26. I wouldn't say he missed a huge amount of games. If if Emil Heskey was injured for or injured or unfit for 50, 60 games in his career, that's probably about it. So he did look after himself, credit to him. And he always seemed like a really nice guy. I met him once, and he was a really nice guy. Um I don't know much about what he's up to these days. I know two of his kids are in City's Academy. And the only reason I know that is because uh, Wikipedia told me the other day. But I don't know what he does these days. I don't know if he if he has business interests or what, or if he's just enjoying his retirement. Um, but I always liked him, he was frustrating at times, but I always liked him. 
Isaac Gilding, great part of it, Beckenbauer on Tuesday. Thank you very much. Uh, your run through his career made me realise how many eras he played and has got me thinking about a few players, about how few players can do that and that the true greats transcend playing styles and trends. With that in mind, can you put current players on this list into a team do you think they'd have done well and say any pre-2010 year? So put these players into teams of the past. Um, yeah, sure. Trent. Trent is such a unique player. But the great thing about Trent is that even if you look at past eras and think, well, he couldn't really have played as a right back, he could have played as a wing back instead. Or he could have played in midfield. Like, I watched Trent do the midfield thing and it just brings back watching Varane in midfield. So I would say you take Trent and you put him into late 90s Serie A and I think as a midfielder he's he's going to be world class. So let's put him into... Let's put him into the Juve team. If you go with a midfield of, let's see, you have this. I'm going 98 for a sec. If you put him into the UVA team, managed by Lippi, Peruzzi in goal. You're going to have Ferrara and Montero in defence. Marculiano will play one side and we can mix and match the other side. Pisato would be the left back. Then in midfield, Didier Deschamps sitting in as the holding midfielder. Edgar Davids in a box-to-box role. Zidane as the 10, wouldn't Trent as the fourth piece of a diamond midfield make a ton of sense? I know it means leaving Antonio Conte, who was club captain, out of the team, but I mean, imagine what Trent would add to that team. And then you've got Del Piero and Inzaghi in attack. I think he'd have fit brilliantly into that team. I think you can look back at some of the the German teams from the mid-90s playing a back three with wing-backs and Trent would fit really, really well into those as well. Or with his crossing ability, I mean, could you put him in the Saki Milan teams as the right winger? over Donadoni or over Colombo, depending on which side you want to play. So you play Donadoni the other side. And having him with Van Basten and Hullet as targets, I mean that would be that would be spectacular. You could put Trent into the United team that won the treble instead of Beckham. You could put him into the first Arsenal double team 
instead of Ray Parler. And I think he fits like a glove, like a hand in a glove in any of those teams. You could put him into the Lazio team that won the league instead of Varane. Now, he wouldn't be as good as Varane in that role if you just transplanted him in now. But if he had trained in that position for three, four years beforehand, then he absolutely could have been. But I'm going to put him in that Juve team and move on. Antoine Griezmann. Um, best fit for Griezmann. I mean, he's played, he started off his career playing wide. I'm wondering, would that Freddie Lumberg role in the Arsenal Invincible team have worked for him? I don't know that... Freddie was really, really good, and he was really unselfish. I don't know if Griezmann would be comfortable playing such a secondary role, like being the fourth option in attack. Um, You know where he would have been great is United in the treble team, but we'll avoid that one for now. Put him in the Bayern team that lost to United that year. Put him in that Bayern team. Playing as a second striker with the ability to drop off. I think he would have been special. He's a special player anyway, but in that team, I think that would have worked. You could put him into... Do you know where he would have been great? But they were great anyway. It was the, the Johan Cruyff dream team. If you put him into Stoichkov's role, I think he'd have been tremendous in that, that kind of role. He doesn't have the ball striking of Stoichkov, but his movement, his dribbling, his ability to just always pick the right option, his goal scoring, he's a better finisher than Stoichkov. And we'll go with that team. We'll put him into the... Mm. Yeah, no, we'll put him into that team just for the sake of it. Um, Harry Kane, you can put into any team, any time ever. Like, I genuinely believe that. I think you could put Kane into the Saki Milan team, and I think he'd have been great for them. Not, not as good as Van Basten, I don't think, but certainly would add an, an extra layer to them. Now, the post... Where I would actually want him, the post-Van Basten, Capello-era Milan, the one that won the European Cup in 94, that's where I'm putting Harry Kane, in the Massaro role. He'd have been unbelievable. Rodri, the Germany 96 team in, in Dieter Elsa's spot, he'd have been phenomenally good. We'll put him into the Dortmund team that won the Europe, the back-to-back Bundesligas in the European Cup. We'll stick him in instead of Paul Lambert, and he'll elevate that team. Mikhail Saka. 
Saka in that Arsenal invincible team, actually, it, Saka in that Lumberg role would be incredible. So we'll stick him there. Uh, Kvitsa. I'm tempted to go back to that Barcelona dream team. So, like Michael Laudrup, as everybody knows, is my favourite player of all time. One of the reasons I love Kvitsa is because he reminds me so much of Laudrup. Put him into that team in Laudrup's spot. But then if we're looking to amplify the team and improve them, that doesn't do that. Put him into the Saki team. Put him into the Saki team over Donadoni on the left. That's the move. Put him into that team. Uh, Bruno Fernandes. He's a bit of an awkward fit. I always think Bruno's best is an eight in a midfield three. But if we're looking historically, he's probably going to have to play a slightly different role. You could look at... No, that wouldn't work. No, that wouldn't work. I was going to say you could look at, like, Capello's Roma, maybe. Because I was going to say you could push Totti forward next to Batistuta, but then you are losing Montella. Yeah, might be worth the payoff. Um, I would say... If I could go internationally here, the 86 German team, I think he'd be a really good fit into that. Imagine him in the Porto team that won the European Cup under Mourinho, though. He'd be incredible in that team. That's actually where we'll put him. We'll put him in that Porto team that won the European Cup under Mourinho. Um, Alfonso Davies. Alfonso Davies probably would have been a winger back in the day. But I'll just pop him into the Real Madrid team of Capello in the Roberto Carlos spot. Now, he's not as good as Roberto Carlos, but he's got that same kind of speed and power. I think he's a slightly better defender than Roberto Carlos when he's locked in. Doesn't have the delivery yet. We'll put him in there. Um, Thibaut Courtois. Germany 96 instead of Bodo Wildner. Or instead of Ike Immel, Bodo Wildner had stepped aside. Um, yeah, actually, that's what we'll do. We'll put him in that team. We'll, we'll just put him in that team. Germany in 96. Um, Eddie Martinez, the ultimate shithouse. Um, Emmy. Arsenal's Invincibles with Saka over Lehman. Tempting. Tempting for certain. Yeah, we'll go there. We'll just go there. Uh, Chris Colby, what current or former footballer's career would you want to personally enjoy from a travel perspective 
I hadn't realized the tour of Italy that was Christian Vieri's career. Um, Florian Radicciu was always one. He he had quite the quite the career. So uh, Dino Bucharest, Bari, Hellas Verona, Brescia, Milan, then Espanyol, so the city of Barcelona, then West Ham, so the city of London, then Espanyol again. Then Stuttgart, then Brescia again, then back to Dinamo, then to Monaco, and then to Cretil. Now, I don't know who or what they are. Uh, let's see. Cretil. Oh, it's the suburb of, it's a suburb, it's in this, the city of Cretil, which is a suburb of Paris. Um, so starting off in Romania, which is a fascinating country, then getting to do a little tour of Italy for four years, then living in Barcelona, London, Stuttgart, back to Italy for a couple of years, back briefly to Romania, then Monaco, and then Paris. I'm taking that. I'm taking Florian Radicoyo. I think that's got pretty much everything you want. Um, that's it. I should have taken a break. So uh, as you're listening to this, there will already have been a break. So apologies for that. I missed my prompt on that one. Uh, when we come back, just the news and the gossip. See you in a sec. Right. Welcome back. So Jaden Sancho has completed his loan to Borussia Dortmund for the remainder of the season. And he will very much be hoping to get back on track. He said when he walked into the dressing room at Dortmund's training ground, it felt like he'd gone home. So that's always good to see. Um, David Ornstein is reporting that Sevilla are advancing towards agreement to sign Hannibal Mejbri on loan from Manchester United, another one that United are loaning out. I think that's a bad idea for them because I think if they had more players like Mejbri, they wouldn't be in the mess that they're in. Um, It has actually been announced. It has been announced. He obviously stepped out of AFCON to sort out his club career. So that's, you know, it's interesting. Um, Eric Dyer is joining Bayern Munich. That must be one of the great examples of failing upwards than any player has ever achieved because he has been desperate for Spurs for years now. Right. What else can we find to go through? Let's see. Uh, Radu Dragazan has been announced as a new Tottenham player. He'll wear number six. Milos Lukovic is going to Strasbourg. Gabriel Jesus is back in training for Arsenal, so that's good news for the Gunners. Lucas Kloisterman has signed a new contract at RB Leipzig to keep him there till 2028. Oh, David Datrofafana has been recalled off his loan and is going to be loaned out again. Marlon Gomez of Vasco da Gama being linked with 
Premier League clubs, he is very fun to watch. I wonder who... I wonder who will go for him. 20 years of age, really, really good on the ball, can do a bit of everything, can can win his tackles, can be a bit of a playmaker. He'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on. Tuchel confirms he wanted Eric Dyer. We're getting him for the centre-back position. He can play as right or left centre-back as well as in a back three. He also used to play as a six. Yeah, you try playing him as a six and watch what happens. Spurs are letting him go for three million quid. They turned down 40 for him five years ago. Um, Arsenal are not in a rush to get Arteta signed to a new contract. All parties are relaxed. Yeah, I wouldn't be in too much of a rush to get him signed to a new contract either, now, to be totally honest. Uh, Jed Spence is has undergone his medicals. He will be a new Genoa player on loan, and Genoa will have an option to buy in the summer. Um, that could be a re- really exciting move for him. Napoli are preparing documents to get Matteo Politano's contract extension sealed. Uh, Radu Krunic is away to Fenerbahce, leaving AC Milan. Shakhtar Donetsk have agreed a deal to sign Kevin from Palmieri's, uh, 15 million euros. He's, he's decent. He's decent. I, I, I'd be surprised if he becomes a big star, but he is, he is a decent player for sure. Um, Right, we'll just get through the gossip and that will be us for today. I don't think there is anything else. Um, the Sven news is, is the biggest news and that's not something I really want to spend too much time thinking about because it's just it's very, very sad news. Um, Real Madrid are assessing the prospect of signing Erling Haaland because of concerns about whether Kylian Mbappe will leave Paris Saint-Germain to join them. Uh, Jane Sancho, Conor Gallagher remains top of Tottenham's list as Spurs look to bring in a midfielder. I, I just don't believe that that's true. I don't believe Conor Gallagher is top of their list. I don't, I don't see how Conor Gallagher gets in the Spurs team. He's not getting in instead of Basuma. He's not getting in instead of Madison. And I'd much rather have Papi Matar Sar as the in-between than Conor Gallagher. But does it really make sense? Uh, Newcastle have been told that Dominic Solanke will not be sold this month after making an inquiry for the 26-year-old. Bayern Munich are in talks in Eric Dyer, yada, yada. It is funny that they tried to sign Dragazan, lost out in him to Spurs, and then signed Eric Dyer from Spurs. Talk about getting slapped in the face twice. Arsenal have made a twenty-two million pound bid for twenty-six-year-old Hitafe striker Borja Mayoral. I, I would love that to be true. I doubt that it is. Um, I think he's very average, to be totally honest. Manchester United forward Anthony Martial has turned down approaches 
from Fenerbahce, Marseille and a Saudi Pro League team with the 28-year-old set to stay at United until his contract expires in the summer. Wants to move as a free agent, obviously. Manchester United have offered Facundo Palestri in a swap deal for sporting midfielder Martin Hulmond, but the bid has been rejected because Hulmond has a 69 million release clause. I don't don't believe that story to be true. Uh, He is a good player, though. I do think Hulmond is a good player Um, and would probably help United, but I think his release clause is higher than that. Uh, West Ham are weighing up moves for Stephen Bergwijn and Jack Clark as they look to sign one attacking player in January. The Hammers have ruled out a move for Jesse Lingard. I did see Jesse Lingard put a picture up on his Instagram. Uh, Jesse Lingard Instagram. Of him, it's it's him in a gym. You know, these pictures that players who aren't playing anymore and people are questioning whether they actually care about the game. Yeah, he's put up a picture of him in the gym and Paul Scholes. Oh, it's, the comment is gone. Paul Scholes said to him, are you actually going to play football at some point or just prick about? Uh, the comment has now been deleted either by Lingard or by Scholes himself. Maybe he meant to DM him or something. Uh, Lingard is in Dubai uh, training because, you know, that's that's where you go to train. Brentford and Crystal Palace are also interested in signing Jack Clark. Be fun at Palace. He would be fun at Palace. Brentford have enough wingers. Uh, Brighton have joined the race for Serbian attacking midfielder Lazar Samrzic with Napoli having agreed a deal. He's a really good player. I, I assume he'll go to Napoli. Wolves are not under pressure to sell Max Kilman. That's good for them because they would be screwed without him. Wolves have made a move for Che Adams. I don't really like that for them. Spanish club Sevilla are favourites to sign Hannibal. Mejbri, yeah, that's fine. Um, Napoli could make a move for Jakob Kivor or Malang Sar as they look to bring in a set of Napoli are down bad right now. Uruguay defender Ronald Arejo says he's focused on Barcelona amid links to Bayern Munich. And that's it, folks. That's all we have today. Um, back tomorrow. We obviously have a bit of a strange weekend coming up in the Premier League where half the teams are not playing. So we have five games in the league this weekend. Um, so we'll have to figure out something else to do to fill some time for tomorrow. Uh, unless me and Guy just decided to go on tangents. I'm sure there's a couple of nice Sean Dyche tangents we could go on. Um Maybe a United tangent we could go on. A Burnley tangent. Yeah, no, we'll be we'll we'll find. We'll find we'll find a way to fill an hour tomorrow. I'll see you then. Bye bye.
Sports Social Podcast Network.